Welcome back to another episode of Sleep with MJ. I'm still by the beach in Yall, and the sun is still shining every day. But now the sun has sunk beneath the calm sea, and a waxing moon has taken its place along the inky sky. Sometimes I reflect on the moon as it reflects on the water. Our ancestors here in Ireland saw the moon as a god, and when you think about it, it was little wonder that they did. It's easy for us to understand the moon as we have grown up with the technology to examine it. Yet, imagine living in Ireland 4,000 years ago. You lie awake in a field and look up at a bright full moon in the sky. What would you think it is, this silver globe gazing upon you? What wonder must have flashed through their minds? Tonight's story is from the perspective of a child. Unlike our ancestors, this child lives in modern Dublin, and he certainly knows what the moon is. Yet, children do retain a wonder and a fascination that often slips away from adults. And this child, in Dublin, also enjoys looking at the sky. Into the Never by M.J. McGrath I must have been little more than seven or eight years of age when Patsy came to live with us in the city. A crusty old farmer, my brothers and I were warned by our mother to be patient around him, that though he was odd in his ways, our granduncle meant no harm, and in any case, country folk were of a different breed. Despite these advance notices, the sudden injection of Patsy into our family home was the source of much consternation. Our house in Ranla was a cosy but modest affair, and a married couple with three children certainly stretched the limits of its comfort. As the eldest, I had my own single room, while my two brothers and parents shared each double. This independence, which I dearly cherished, was to be the first casualty of old Patsy's arrival, and I was duly evicted to the same room as my siblings. Knowing the resentment I held over this banishment, my brothers would tease me by flapping their imaginary wings and making cuckoo noises long into the night. Yet I was not alone in feeling the imposition of Patsy's presence. My father, who was a stern and stout labourer, as well as an irrepressible dub, would regularly take exception to his uncle-in-law's habits. Not caring if Patsy was within earshot, he'd growl and wag his finger at my mother over the kitchen table. You tell that uncle of yours to keep his paws off my face, Clot, and while you're at it, let him know the flush in the toilet works if he ever decides to use it. Patsy was from Galway, where my mother's people had been sheep farmers for many generations. Over the years, their land holdings had swelled through the shrewd business manoeuvrings of the family until they owned some 300 acres around the 1950s. It was at this juncture that the land was split in two, half given to my grandfather and the other half to Patsy. Though an unusual arrangement for its time, it worked well for the most part. My grandfather raised his family on his side, the oldest of which now owned it, while Patsy slipped quietly into the comforts of a bachelor's life. Though apparently a tough grafter in his twenties, he prematurely began to delegate his tasks to local farm labourers. And so it was that before reaching 40 years of age, it was clear to all who knew him that he had become too fond of drops of brandy 
and the lure of the public house. He was also known about the parish for the breadth of his storytelling and even fancied himself as something of a tenor when his spirits were raised and the brandy was in full flow. Despite his roguish reputation with women, he never married nor had any children. This was an odd strain in the man, but it was most likely for the best. A woman had arrived up the farm's passage to his front door on one occasion, claiming to have a teenage daughter whom he fathered. This was dismissed as a money-gouging scam, and solicitors soon became involved. Alas, it amounted to little, and as the woman was of low moral reputation, the case was duly dismissed. And furthermore, my father continued in the kitchen, I don't believe that child was belonged to him either. He had too much brandy in his guts for having the juice to produce an air. Arrow wished up now, Jack, would you? The children can hear you upstairs. Let them hear. He wouldn't work to warm himself all his life, and you know it's the truth. Though I couldn't see them, I could sense my mother folding her arms that obstinate way that I was familiar with. He was a gentleman farmer, she spoke defiantly, and there's not one thing the matter with that. Oh, that's right. Spin me that one again, yeah? My father will continue in his thick Dublin twang. He was well able to traipse over here with cap in hand towards peasants in the city when he couldn't look after himself anymore. During these conversations, Patsy would be in his usual worn armchair in the living room, coughing a rancid hack and smoking his pipe up the chimney. Another habit that irked my father. Despite the imposition of his presence in the house, I couldn't help but feel empathetic to Patsy on such occasions. The old farmer would, of course, play dumb to the goings-on in the other room and scratch at the grey bristles of his unshaven jaw. Though he was a dapper gentleman throughout the decades of his drinking and courting in Galway, his move to Dublin coincided with a sharp decline in interest for personal grooming, and I wondered if he had reached the conclusion that his playboy days were now finally behind him. Nonetheless, he still wore a crinkled three-piece suit, a tweed flat cap, and would always have his pocket watch attached to his waistcoat with a silver chain. This faded grandeur, noble as it was, also spoke of brooding wealth, and I knew my father suffered him knowing that the farm's future would be signed over to us once he had passed away. It often seemed a heavy price for the endurance, but my father was nothing if not a pragmatic operator. One autumn night, as my father's voice drifted again in anguish from the kitchen, Patsy asked if I would like to walk outside and get some fresh air with him. Though struck by the strangeness of this request, I followed him out into the front garden where we sat on a wooden bench that my father had constructed many years ago. The bench was set in a small grove beneath a leafy arch and was something of a green retreat from our urban troubles. Here, in this little oasis, we could sample the peace that our minds had surely evolved to live in were they ever allowed the time. It was especially tranquil when the night was still and cloudless. Constellations and eternity painted on the inky vista far above our heads. Patsy brought his pipe from the pocket of his jacket and began to feed lumps of tobacco into its bulbous opening. Not a bad old night, he spoke upward to the stars. 
Did you get all your homework finished after dinner? The most of it, I replied. I hadn't time to get through all of the Irish before hurling training. Hurling is Irish homework. He smiled through the lines of his face, drawing deeply on the pipe. I'll get up early and get it done so I don't get a note home. My father won't know any different. Era, what your father doesn't know won't trouble him at all, Patsy replied, exhaling a grey plume into the night. Just be sure to keep your ears cocked when you're in class. It's a noble thing to have a hold of your own language. I will, Patsy. I know you will. You're a good lad. It was about that time I became unsettled by the sea of darkness above us, infused as it was with the rattle of my granduncle's breathing. I knew our nights were finite. That time would draw him out of our picture together and leave me on the bench alone. With each soft cough into his sleeve or the crackle from his pipe, I felt his life burning into an ash that drifted and settled on the leaves of the garden. Do you think heaven is a place, Patsy? The old farmer rested his pipe on the arm of the bench and gazed down on me with some surprise. That's an awful big question for such a small head. I know. I just do be thinking about it sometimes. That's all. Fiddling with the stem of his pipe, Patsy furrowed his brow and looked skyward again. Well, I certainly think there will be a peace in it. You're not worried for yourself, I pushed him, somewhat ashamedly. It's only the living that concern themselves with those questions, he replied, before laying his thick country hand on my shoulder. Let the mortals rage, my boy, for the dead need never care. I ingested his words as well I could, and decided not to trouble him on the matter any further. The cool breeze told of the fall of autumn, and more imminently, the unwelcome arrival of my bedtime. Patsy stayed active for another year, regularly calling cabs to bring him to the few public houses he'd begun to frequent downtown. And by all accounts, he became a popular figure amongst the locals, regaling them with yarns from the wild hills of Connacht. It was during the following winter that his health began to fail him, his cough becoming more persistent until he was hospitalised. Diagnosed with pneumonia, he mercifully passed away in less than a week. His fear and disdain of medical institutions always been a feature of his life. Patsy's popularity ensured a funeral was a large gathering, and many of his new acquaintances from Dublin travelled across to Galway to pay their respects to the old farmer. Once he had been placed in the ground, his assembled friends and my mother's family drank deep into the night, in a way most befitting of his spirit. Back in Dublin, in the following weeks, my parents cleared his room and I was given my old space back. It was, of course, the bitterest of bittersweet pills to take, but I knew he'd appreciated being given the room by me in the first place. My parents also had the matter of his affairs to take care of and were regularly in contact with Patsy's solicitor back in Galway. One afternoon, they both drove across the country to his office, leaving me and my brothers in the care of our auntie Peggy, a stout and uncompromising spinster who hadn't taken well to the realities of middle age. After a long day of avoiding her aunt around the house, we finally heard the engine of my father's car switch off in the driveway at about seven o'clock. 
Rushing to the porch to greet them, we stopped short when my father flung open the door as though he wanted to remove its hinges, his face like thunder. My mother followed sheepishly, clutching her brown handbag close to her stomach. Whatever's the matter, Jack? Peggy wailed in shock at the fury of his entrance. Oh, I'll tell you what's the matter, all right, my father growled, wagging his finger at her aunt. That bloody uncle of Nora's. And now, Jack, you're after frightening the daylights out of the children. What's after happening? Patsy sold us down to Swanee. He only left Nora a hundred thousand he had in a credit union for minding him. Asher, that must be four times the cost of keeping him. My father threw a glare at Peggy that could strip paint. That's hardly the point now, is it? Of course not. She corrected herself. What about the farm, Jack? Oh, the farm. Why don't you tell her, Nora? My father darted his gaze around to my mother. She remained quiet, but resolute. I'll tell you what he did with the farm, my father continued. He left it to a floozy he met here in the city. Peggy's mouth folded out like a shop awning. Ah! But sure, he couldn't do that. Oh, he did indeed, Peggy. Left a fully stocked farm to some tinker from the north side. Mother of God, save and preserve us, my aunt began to repeat. Isn't that a nice touch now? My father huffed. And we after looking after that bastard for nearly two years. And he repaid us. My mother finally spoke. He never promised anything more than that. Slumping onto Patsy's old armchair, my father leaned forward and held his head in his hands, the long strands of hair he had left on either side poking through his fingers. He knew we were owed it, he mumbled towards the floor. Hearing enough, I hushed my brothers upstairs while I slipped into the hallway and out to the front garden. My head spun with accusations. Was it anger I felt? Towards whom? The moon set in a pale crescent as I stepped lightly across the wet evening grass to the bench. Settling on one side of it, I gazed down at the empty space beside me, still not willing to invade Patsy's seat while his silhouette loomed heavy in the twilight. Some tinker from the north side, I repeated my father's words. The old Galway campaigner, decrepit as he was, still had his secrets and roguery. All those nights he left for hours in the cab. I wondered who she was. Somewhere, north of the Liffey, a woman of ill repute had become the landlady of a large sheep farm in Galway. Would she raise a toast to the departed? Patsy's gift rearranging the stars above us all. Confounded by his nature and staring into the ashes of my memories, I watched their residue sit heavily upon the leaves. Let the mortals rage, my boy. The dead need never care.